District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Gabriella Hoffman, and I am so thrilled for all of you listening to today's episode. I have a special guest in store for my listeners and for those of you who are just discovering this podcast. We're going to be joined by Senator Steve Daines of Montana. Here's a brief biography of the Senator from Montana. He is a fifth-generation Montanan who brings 28 years of private sector business experience to Washington, D.C. as he serves the people of Montana in the U.S. Senate. Steve is a lifelong sportsman and grew up in Bozeman, Montana. In the U.S. Senate, Daines is working on critical issues to growing good-paying Montana jobs, developing their state's energy resources, managing and protecting public lands, and supporting the needs of Montana's veterans and tribes. He serves on the Senate Committees on Finance, Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, Energy and Natural Resources, and Indian Affairs. He has been married to his wife, Cindy, for 33 years. They are parents of four children and proud new grandparents of two. Steve and his family are actively involved in their church and community volunteer organization and enjoy backpacking, hunting, skiing, and fishing. Presenting my exclusive interview with Senator Steve Daines, enjoy. Let me know what you think. We are joined by Senator Steve Daines of Montana to talk about conservation, perhaps a little bit on the environmental front too, and firearms, because I think it's very prudent to say that firearms and conservation actually do go hand in hand. So Senator Daines, thank you so much for chatting with me. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Really good to be with you. Likewise, it's it's really cool to pick your brain because you are actually what I think one Montana publication called a conservative conservationist. So I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk about these issues with. Since you are a sportsman and outdoorsman, you represent a Western state. So talk about the genesis of how you got interested in these issues and, and why you partake in these activities. Well, I was very thankful that uh, I got to grow up in Montana. In fact, I, I said the best decision I ever made in my life was when I, I picked my great-great-grandmother. Uh, she homesteaded north of Great Falls, Montana. Uh, a long time ago, back at the turn of the, of the uh, 19th century. And so growing up in Montana, it just was, it's a way of life for us. I mean, it was hunting and fishing. My earliest memories of you know, getting that first Winchester 22, uh, a pellet gun as well, a Daisy BB gun. You know, and it's just, that was where I started uh, fishing. I had a fly rod in my hand in the, in the early 70s before fly fishing was cool. My grandpa had a, a Browning Siloflex rod with an automatic reel, a wicker creel. If you've seen the movie, A River Runs Through It, uh, that was films on the Gallatin River, most of it, and a river that I grew up fishing on before it was found and discovered, probably by so many now, was becoming a popular sport. So anyway, I just grew up that way, you know, hunting antelope, hunting deer, hunting elk, uh, backpacking up in the Beartooth Wilderness area from their earliest days, hiking with family. So it just really was ingrained in me at the very earliest. I thought everybody lived that way. Because you grow up, you don't know until as I you know, got into my college years and then left Montana State University, left Montana for a few years, I realized what I grew up with was something really unique and really special. And it's part of our legacy that we need to continue to protect and preserve in Montana. Yes, and that is why I think in the last few years, we've seen a lot more, I would say, Republicans like yourself trying to take a lead on these issues. And like I'd mentioned earlier, you have been called a conservative conservationist. Why is it important, especially in this new political era we're in, to see Republicans take the lead on conservation issues, especially against what we're starting to see, and that can be argued as kind of this preservationist environmentalist ethos. Yeah, well, I, I think it's unfortunate that, uh, that, that conservation has gotten so politicized that somehow if you are conservative, if you're Republican, you can't be pro-environment, uh, pro-outdoors, 
pro-public lands uh, because I am. And, and as you mentioned, one of the, uh, the great compliments I had was a, a headline that called me the conservative conservationist. And I think about what we have in Montana is that if you don't have a balance on, on these views here as it relates to allowing us to responsibly develop our natural resources, we must continue to do that for a lot of reasons. But one is to have an economy and jobs, because if we don't have a natural resource economy in a place like Montana, then ultimately it's just the, the kind of the, the rich and famous that will be able to live in a place like Montana and the average working men and women will have to leave because they don't have a job. Uh, as, they, as, we, as we've seen some of these radical environmental groups shut down mining, shut down uh, timber uh, management, uh, you know, shut down oil, gas in our coal industries. Well, what do you have if you shut all those down? You basically just have uh, a state that only people who are wealthy can afford to live in. And do you see this kind of preservationist ethos being promulgated by now Secretary Holland, who you actually grilled? And and I think it's appropriate to do it if you're going to be a department head and a cabinet member overseeing the department that oversees all public lands, natural resources, wildlife. Do you worry that she's going to head in that direction despite her? I wouldn't say she really gave you an affirmative answer about her changing, but has she expressed an interest to work with Western senators like you to promote true conservation, or is she still kind of stuck in her preservationist and uh, kind of inclined to to that philosophy more so, or is she is she willing to bend, or are you worried she's not going to kind of listen to the interests out west? Well, 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 I hope so. I really do now that she is our Secretary of Interior that we can find a way to work together uh, that we don't lock up all of our public lands such that, uh, again, uh, we can't get access to them. Uh, because you know, as I think about a state like Montana, you know, we're, we're a blend of, as I said, we're a blend of Merle Haggard and John Denver. I mean, it's, it's that melody you gotta understand here and that balanced view that I think we need to have going forward where most Montanans are. But you know, she, she has taken some very, uh, some very radical positions uh, prior to her nomination, uh, shutting down all pipelines, uh, shutting down uh, natural resource development, uh, opposed to public uh, lands trapping to allow our trappers to have you know, to, to trap. I mean, that's, that's part of our heritage in Montana. Uh, and then, of course, we got into a bit of a, of a, of a debate on, on the Endangered Species Act. And uh, we look at what's happened with the grizzly bears in a place like Montana. You know, when I was growing up, Gabrielle, in Montana, um, you know, we only had a, you know, a couple hundred grizzly bears. And they were on the endangered species list. Uh, and they set targets like in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, like 300 bears, they raised it to 500 bears. And once it got to that level, we should delist or celebrate the recovery of this amazing animal, a grizzly bear, but return the management species back to the states, like we did with wolves back in 2011. Let the state of Montana manage that species. Well, now today there's over a thousand grizzly bears in the greater yes. Yellowstone ecosystem. Tragically, just last week, an hour and a half from my home in Southwest Montana, a 40-year-old man from West Yellowstone, Montana, was tragically mauled and killed by a grizzly bear. And so it's in the best interest for the people of Montana and the bears to delist them and allow the state of Montana to manage the species. So that's a, that's a place where Secretary Holland said she wanted to keep the bears on the endangered species list forever in perpetuity. Well, I've got a different view on that, and so do most Montanans. It's also in the science, too, uh, wildlife biologists have come to a consensus that the bear has very successfully recovered. You're citing the KO2 method. I, I saw that figure, the thousand figure, which is amazing because it means that they probably were underplaying the, the level of recovery of the bears. 
And it's going to lead to more bare human conflicts. I think even bear to bear conflict too. I think people forget when, and I haven't been to the greater Yellowstone ecosystem in a while, but when you have these highly aggressive bears that are not managed, these grizzlies, they also attack other grizzlies. They attack other bears, black bears, other brown bears in the ecosystems. And also they predate livestock as well. So I don't think people understand the conflict until maybe let's say a bear is in downtown Washington, D.C. or in downtown New York City. Well, I spend a lot of time in grizzly country. In fact, uh, I, I mean, I'm an avid hunter. Uh, I, I love to hunt predators. I, I get out, I, I hunt wolves mountain lions, uh, black bears, but oftentimes I'm right in the middle of the ecosystem where the grizzly bears are absolutely um, everywhere. And, and I'll tell you, you've got to be very, very careful. And I take all the precautions. I have bear spray as well as a firearm when I'm out in grizzly country, but you're exactly right. Uh, you know, the science, the science is telling us just quantitatively, I'm a chemical engineer by degree, Gabrielle. I like to look at the numbers and the science. The science tells us the bear now has exceeded the recovery targets. Let's celebrate that, that we've actually recovered the species from the Endangered Species Act, and let's delist them, move the management species back to Montana, like we did with wolves. That's working very well, by the way, letting Montana manage a predator like the wolf. But it's in the best interest of the bears. It's in the best interest of for the people. It's the best interest for agriculture. As you mentioned, uh, predator losses. The number one loss in livestock now in Montana is grizzly bears. It's not wolves, it's not mountain lions, it's grizzly bears. We have families up along the Rocky Mountain front there, along the Bob Marshall wilderness area there, where they have to walk their children to the bus stop. They're armed in the morning because there are so many grizzly bears now that remember when Lewis and Clark came out to Montana, the grizzly bears were on the plains. Mm -hmm. uh, grizzly bears are omnivores. They, they, they eat primarily uh, grass and berries and so forth. Uh, they also eat meat, but Let's not forget the fact we now have grizzly bears out in the wheat fields of Montana in places like Conrad and outside of Great Falls. And so we need to delist the bear, return the management species back to the, to the people of Montana. Another issue I wanted to ask you about is there's a bill, I think, from some of your Republican colleagues in the House to prevent the Secretary of Interior from using closures of national parks under the guise of COVID restrictions. What are your thoughts on that? And I think Glacier National Park is also implementing something like a reservation system to cap attendance. Have you had any thoughts on that? Well, I, I work closely with our superintendents, um, who, by the way, when, when we had the uh, going through the COVID pandemic just in the last season, it was very important that we opened up our national parks. You think about social distancing. Boy, there's no better way to kind of uh, help people get through a pandemic than to get them in the great outdoors. In fact, uh, I, I saw a T-shirt the other day that said, uh, Montana, practicing social distancing, distancing since 1889. That was statehood. I mean, we're used to that in a place like Montana. And so I, I hope we would you know, keep our national parks open. Uh, yes, take the proper precautions in places where you might have more concentration of people, but it is much better to open our parks, not close and restrict them during a pandemic. One, for the, for the physical health, but also mental health. The American people, we need to be outdoors more. And the more you're outdoors, frankly, it, it, it helps the mind. Yes, a lot of people have been recreating responsibly. I think that's a campaign that a lot of people in the outdoor industry have been touting and, and promoting. And it's kind of counterintuitive to the public lands ethos to restrict public lands access. I think I think it was a New York Post article that said that sometimes this is a tool by kind of preservationist environmentalists to restrict access, which is very counterintuitive and very much against what the national park stood for, for the benefit and enjoyment of all. And hopefully they don't take that route. 
And I also want to ask you kind of segueing into firearms. And while the second amendment has nothing to do with hunting and that has to be made very perfectly clear, I think an argument you and your fellow Republicans, I think you make this well, but I think some of your other Republicans can make the argument that if you push gun control policies or you restrict the ability of people to legally procure and purchase firearms, you're going to have a very big shortage and diminishment of conservation dollars when Pritman Robertson funds are not flowing. So what are your thoughts on that? Is that an argument that you hope to make um, and what gun control policies also concern you right now? Yeah, well, you're exactly right. Um, the first point you made there, Gabriella, as it relates to, I think it's important that we continue to teach an understanding of the Second Amendment uh, to the to future generations that you know, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson were not in a room there concerned about the threat of whitetails or, or antelope. And that's why we needed to be able to have firearms. Remember, the Second Amendment is not about hunting. It is about liberty. It is about freedom. And that's that's a very important foundational principle, understanding why we have the Second Amendment, right, which followed the First Amendment, which is you know, protecting critical rights on speech and religion and freedom of the press and, and petition and so forth. But uh, to your point around the, the connection to hunting, and that is if you want to, first of all, preserve the great outdoors and preserve wildlife, we need to continue to encourage hunting because some of those dollars flow towards conservation and protection species. We see that in Africa. Uh, I, I've never been over in Africa to hunt, but if, if you actually hunt in Africa, if they allow it, it actually generates funds to go after the poachers. You actually protect a species when you hunt a species. It's counterintuitive to many who don't understand the outdoors understand hunting. So that, that point around was related to gun control. If you start shutting down on the ability to procure firearms or ammunition, that will have an effect on conservation in a negative way, which again, might seem counterintuitive to those who understand really what, what, uh, what hunting is all about here in terms of actually protecting and promoting wildlife. That's very true. What particular bills have concerned you? I think I saw a report that President Biden is going to propose removing immunity from suing gun manufacturers. That's something that's, I think, come down the pipeline. What else from the administration or in from your colleagues has kind of concerned you and really prompted you to speak out? Well, th th there's a number of things. As you see, the uh, the folks who believe that somehow the gun control is going to make us safer, which again, over and over again, proves the fact that these, these gun control laws ultimately do not result in, in safer uh, communities. In, you know, the, the, the communities and cities that have the strictest gun control laws oftentimes have the most dangerous uh, outcomes from violence. So I, I look at uh, other concerns are, are some of these backdoor, these backdoor channels that the left is going here as it relates to, uh, to gun control. You mentioned the immunity here for firearm manufacturers, uh, taking that away, but also uh, they're going after financial institutions that, that seek to loan dollars here to, to a very legitimate industry. And so that's another concern that we have here, where if they can't accomplish their goals here through executive order or through legislative action, they do it kind of this, this woke capitalism we're starting to see more mm -hmm. of, this progressive ideology that's going after the firearms industry and that's another concern I have here that we've got to be battling at the moment. Uh, and so it, it's, a, it's a battle we're fighting right now in Washington, but not just here in the city. It's, a, it's across our country. Have you taken a look at or explored 30 by 30, that initiative to section off 30% of public waters and public lands? And do you worry that sportsmen and women are not going to have a seat at the table for that? Yeah, I do. And that's something that you know the, 
the devil's in the details in terms of what's what's there. But I, I think as we start to unpack it and see what the real goal here is, I, I think the goal here is to lock up more of our public lands. Now, I, you know, I, I'm not opposed to wilderness. I have actually um, moved from legislation that actually has created some additional wilderness in a place like Montana. My wife and I love to backpack in wilderness areas. We can, I, I probably spend more time in wilderness areas than, than probably most members of Congress. Uh, but I think it's the balance that we seek here is multiple use approach, because guess what? Not every Montanan can, can get access to wilderness. There are, there are issues here with, with physical disabilities and so forth. We've got to continue to protect the ability to, to allow motorized vehicles uh, into, into our public lands. And so that's the balance that we seek. And I think the 30 by 30 initiative is, again, uh, maybe another way to lock up more of our public lands and actually diminishes access. What we need to keep working on here is promoting better access to our public lands. I'm afraid the 30 by 30 is, a, again, maybe a backdoor way here to actually restrict access for multiple use for many, many uh, Americans who, who love their public lands. And we do sometimes see that maneuver implemented when it's national monument designations. I know your colleague, Senator Lee, is speaking out against that. And I know you guys are going to be probably weighing whether or not to congressionally update that bill. But also something kind of I want to end on uh, being an avid hunter and angler. You've probably observed that many people are taking to the field. They're going hunting for the first time. They're going fishing for the first time. As someone who wields a lot of influence and who partakes in this, what is your advice to people who want to pick up these activities for the first time? What would you recommend? What style? What species? <laughs> well, first of all, go for it. Um, you know, you think oftentimes... Uh, fishing and hunting and outdoors is something that's passed on on families. And maybe it was a father, a mother, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin that, that got you out to catch that first fish as a kid. But for those who didn't have that experience growing up, I, it's very important we keep the next generation going forward here of buying a fishing license, buying hunting licenses, because that funds conservation. It funds the great outdoors. Uh, and and I, I tell you, if you're, if you're interested in fly fishing, uh, you know, you, you come to a place like Montana, if, if you can afford to hire a guide to get out on a river and get on a McKinsey boat, it's a great way to learn uh, the sport of fly fishing. Because if you saw Brad Pitt and his stunt double on the river runs through it, he's making these huge casts with his fly rod. Well, when you're in a McKinsey boat, you'll have to cast about 10 or 20 feet out of the boat there and you'll, you'll catch your first trout. And when you hook that first fish, you'll be hooked on the sport probably for the rest of your life. It is so true. I've just started fly fishing. Uh, not largely because I've watched the film, which is a great film. I've done mostly bait and spin cast, but it is so true. I like waiting on the water and I actually just caught my first shad on the fly in the Rappahannock recently. But waiting is great. Floating from a boat is also awesome, too. And it's been wonderful to chat with you, Senator Danes. Where could people connect with you, follow your musings, follow your legislation and probably get some inspiration to go hunting and fishing? <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, yeah, we, we were on Instagram of course, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you can find us by doing a search on, on Steve Danes. But I can tell you on my Instagram account, I, I, I those are all my, I, I do that alone. Nobody, nobody touches that. Oh. Nobody, Tom Seen touches my Instagram account. So, and I try to actually capture more of the Montana way of life there. I try to make it you know, non-political generally. Sometimes, you know, you throw something that might have a, a political uh, bent to it. But generally, it's just pictures of the landscapes of Montana. Time, I call it pick. Picks from the pickup. I literally just right around my Ford pickup. <laughs> I'll see, you know, a, a nice uh, an antelope or a deer or, or an elk or so forth. I heard of elk. I'll take a quick picture out of the uh, out of the uh, a window of the pickup and I'll post it. So you can go check that. We try to keep it focused on the great outdoors in Montana. 
Love it. That's wonderful. And maybe post COVID or something, if I try, I may try to do some series where I try to get lawmakers like yourself to do outdoor activities, but hopefully maybe I'll talk with your staff and maybe we can do some fishing together or something of that nature to kind of highlight that lawmakers don't just wear stuffy suits and and talk policy all the time. I I can tell you right now, uh, we're into spring bear, you know, I opened up. So uh, I've got my, my 300 wind mag and I'm waiting for a few couple more weeks here before really, I think you prime time of spring bear hunting in Montana. But oh my gosh. I'll be, I'll be out there chasing spring bear here nice. in Montana. So it's uh, one thing about when you hunt predators, it, it lengthens your hunting season because mm-hmm. you really almost get to hunt 10 or 12 months of the year when you add predators to your uh, to your hunting list. Yes, and sadly, that type of hunting is controversial to some people, but hopefully they'll start to understand and maybe you can shed light on it. But Senator Danes, it's been l- wonderful talking to you. Thank you for what you're doing in the Senate. I appreciate your time and- Hopefully I'll get to interface with you in in person sometime soon. Look forward to Gabrielle. Thank you. If you enjoyed my conversation with Senator Steve Daines, let us know what you think on social media, whether it is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and on Apple Podcasts, where we're most listened to. Go leave us some reviews, hit the subscribe button, and let me know how you think on this interview. Would love your feedback. Tomorrow we're going to be joined by Stephen Gutowski, formerly of the Washington Free Beacon, who has now started a brand new solo endeavor called The Reload. He's going to talk about moving in the independent direction, some breaking stories that he's uncovered, and tips that he's received, and so much more. So we're going to pick his brain and have him rejoin us on the podcast. I think he is a very important voice in media on the gun issues. I don't know anyone aside from him who dedicates so much time to accurately reporting on mechanics, ballistics, nomenclature on these issues. And he is the person I defer to for many things. And I love sharing his stuff and retweeting his content on Twitter. So I think you're going to familiarize yourself with him and really be intrigued by his new project. I will also be interviewing Congresswoman Lisa McLean of Michigan, who has a brand new bill on ensuring that the Secretary of Interior does not close national parks on COVID grounds because you can recreate safely outdoors and you can spread out people pretty evenly and sparsely in different national parks. So that is a response to some of the news that we've talked about on the podcast of certain national parks closing on COVID grounds, kind of a wish list item of preservationist environmentalist for a long, long time. And I think it would be very antithetical to the public lands mantra to close them while more people are getting vaccinated. Things are starting to return to normal. People are taking refuge in the outdoors. And we spoke to our guest earlier this week, Shoshana Weissman of this and why it would be foolish to close the park. So Congresswoman McLean will talk about her bill and maybe some other outdoor topics. I have to learn and see if she is outdoorsy too, but very curious to pick her brain on this matter. Thank you so much for listening. We have plenty of interviews coming from the newsmakers and who's who in the outdoor industry. If you want to recommend someone, recommend yourself. In fact, I'll be more than happy to take your suggestions. So we are going to be continuing to make news, bring on newsmakers like Senator Steve Daines and others who have and are shaping conservation all across the board, whether in hook and bullet sports, hiking, camping, etc. And in public policy, we're all ears to that. Thanks for listening. Check us out and share the good word with your friends.